I wonder if anyone here has ever suffered through a season or two of The Biggest Loser. It's gone out of fashion a bit at the moment, um, but for some strange reason, I watched one season one time. You know, like it happens to come on one of these shows, like The Block or whatever, and you kind of happen to get involved with the characters. And so here you are, watching The Biggest Loser. Uh, and for those who... Apparently, I'm the only one who suffered the, the fate of watching said show. So let me just give you a little uh, uh, illustration of the show. Basically, the idea was you got these people who had got extremely unhealthy and overweight. Uh, for some bizarre reason, someone convinced them to go on a television show uh, so we could entertain ourselves watching them sweat uh, and uh, scream and lose lots of weight. And... Uh, you know, that was mildly entertaining, at least for one season for me. But for many of those contestants, what would also happen is, uh, as well as it just being about shedding the kilos, uh, I think to make for better TV, but perhaps probably there was something uh, deeper to it as well, uh, the, some of the contestants would start actually discovering that uh, there was something deeper that they needed to uncover. Their, their journey began as, I want to shed a few pounds so I can be a bit more healthy and active, but actually they would go on this journey to discover uh, why they had ended up in that situation in the first place. And of course, to help them on that psychological journey, they had some really fit dudes. Um, so I don't, know, I don't know where the psychologist came along, but nonetheless, they told them uh, how uh, they could be better people as they lost weight. Now, it's one thing, isn't it, to knuckle down and uh, f sort of work hard and cut the calories and lose some weight on TV. But it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, if they did like The Biggest Loser revisited sometime and we uh, went and met all the characters from the seasons of the show. It'd be interesting to see for how many it had been a lasting change or for how many they might need to actually go back and have another season again. They never did do like winners and losers of uh, Biggest Loser where they bring back past contestants for another round. Perhaps they'd need to do something like that. Because the thing is, it's quite difficult to undergo a true transformation. It takes deep work of understanding triggers and all sorts of uh, other things that are going on to figure out why you've got certain behaviours and what's driving them. And for the life of the Christian, uh, we need to make sure that we're not doing the surface level things, but that we're actually seeking deep transformation. For us, deciding that Jesus is Lord is that transformative moment. But moving from then death to life, uh, having our world transformed uh, after we've made that decision is something that we have to journey with. And along the journey, there's the temptation to try and become more like Jesus with guts and determination, focusing on what you can do to get better, rather than the longer, more impactful, more lasting change of enabling God to transform you. And, and that's what we're going to sort of unpack a little bit more as we look at this part of the letter. For those new or visiting or who've forgotten, we're in the middle of this series on Colossians, 
and it's a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Colossae. Uh, and what we've seen so far is that Paul is extremely thankful. He's thankful to God because of the Colossian people's faith, because of what God has done in their lives, and because of how their faith is being transformative. It's working itself out in love, he says in the opening uh, passages of the, of the letter. And Paul is writing to them, having uh, not been involved in planning this church, saying that he's praying for them, praying that they would grow in their knowledge of God built on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And of Jesus, their foundation, he's reminded them of his supremacy, that he is the Lord and the King, the one who has won their salvation, and they need nothing else. The gospel of Jesus is Lord, the one who's come to die for your sins and has risen again victorious. That's all you need. And so he's encouraged them, keep that at the centre of your life, at the centre of your faith, and allow that truth and the lordship of Christ to work itself out in you. And so having reminded them that their salvation comes through what God has done for them in Jesus Christ, he now wants to instruct them on how they go on living in light of that truth. Take a look uh, with me at verse, verses 1 to 4 of Colossians chapter 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things, for you died and your life is now hidden with, God, with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. It's really important, as we're about to see what Paul tells them to do, to remind ourselves of how Paul starts. It's a reiteration of what he's already been saying. God has done this awesome thing for you in Jesus. You have been raised with Christ, verse 1. You have died and you are in Christ, verse 3. You will, it's certain, appear with Christ in glory, verse 4. And because of the reality of, of the Colossians' lives, because of the reality of our lives as people who've trusted in the Lord Jesus, because of what he's done on the cross, because you are in Christ and those things are true for you, therefore... Verse 2, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. You have a different mindset as a Christian because you know a different set of truths. You have a heavenly mindset because you're a heavenly citizen in Christ. And what Paul shows us for, in the rest of this section is that having a heavenly mindset in all you do looks like in verses 5 to 11, putting to death the old self, and then in verses 12 to 17, putting on the new self. But before we take a look at those sections in a little more detail, I think it's really important to note this. Not only uh, do we have this reality for us in Christ because of what God has done for us, but then when we set our minds on that, when we set our minds on Christ seated in the heavenly places and, and, and seek to then put to death the old self and put on the new self, we're, we're doing two things. 
we're not just stopping something and leaving a gap. We stop one way of living and put on a new way. We move from something unhealthy or, or bad or sinful to something good and true and life-giving. We put to death the old self and we put in place of that the clothes of the new self. Too often, when we try to put to death the old self, that's all we do. It's all we focus on. We take a suppression-only response, if you will. But what I want you to notice here is how Paul links the putting to death of our earthly nature in verse 5 to the putting on of the clothes of holiness in verse 12. It's a two-part holistic process of growing as a Christian. Old thing replaced with new thing. It's one of the actually good things about the seven deadly sins that you might remember we preached on a few years ago here, if you were here that back then, and you can go find the series on the website if you missed it. Every vice or sin from the seven deadly sins, the church fathers had a virtue to go with it. It's like, if this is your problem, replace that thing with this thing. That's quite useful, and that's kind of the same, like the church fathers got that from somewhere, and they got it, from places like this in Paul's letter in Colossians, put to death the old self, put on the new self. Let's have a look a little bit more in depth at, at what Paul's saying. Verse 5, put to death therefore whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed which is idolatry. It's a big list of sins that don't belong in the life of Christian, though it is by no means exhaustive is it i suspect what we have here is a list of particular sins that the colossians uh, either had come out of or were still struggling with in their uh, church community it's a list which includes both acts and desires so it's not just don't do the wrong thing, though that is definitely there. P putting to death sexual immorality, we assume that's uh, se immoral sexual practice. But also, impurity and lust and evil desires, well, they're, they're sort of thoughts, aren't they? It's more about what's going on in our mind, as is greed. And I think uh, it's important to note that greed is on this list. Uh, it says put to death sexual immorality, impurity, lust, that they are things that we need to put to death. But it also says evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. They're all bad and they all need to die. Some people call greed the most acceptable sin of the Western church. But actually, the scriptures are just as down on your greed as they are on your sexual immorality. All of them are wrong. And God will judge these sins. Now, it's for another day and another sermon to unpack what, I, what, what does Paul mean by sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. And we'll do that uh, at some other point. But because of these sins, because uh, of the sins of human beings, verse 6 
the wrath of God is coming. Sin is really serious. It has really serious consequences, not just in our own lives, where we reap the consequences of our uh, not living the way God made us to live, but actually, ultimately, it brings God's judgment upon us. And Christians are not meant to live in that way that, bring, that, that, that leads to the wrath of God. Verse 7, you used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But the Colossian church aren't meant to be like that anymore. They're not meant to be like the world around us because why? They've got a heavenly mindset. They know that Jesus is Lord. And so they live differently. And we get some more sins then in verses 8 and 9. So you must also rid yourselves of these of such things as anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off the old self with its practices. Here we've got a set of sins that seem especially related to how we think and talk about other people. And if you think about uh, a key, that key passage that I spent some time on last week, Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, you, you remember that uh, as you receive Jesus Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, being rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, overflowing with thankfulness. The person whose life is built on Christ and therefore overflows with thankfulness can't speak like the person described in Colossians 8, 3, 8 and 9, can they? If you're, if, if you're building your life on Christ and, and God's spirit is working in your heart that overflows in thankfulness, you're, it doesn't kind of work to be an angry, thankful person or a, or, or, or a, or a malice-speaking, thankful person or a lying, thankful person. The Christian, the one who lives with Jesus as Lord, they won't speak like this because they've put to death the old self with its practices and, verse 10, have put on the new self which has been renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus is made new in Christ and is, trans, uh, and is transported from being a citizen of this earth to a citizen of heaven. And what we were before matters not. It's a remarkable little sentence, isn't it? Because what Paul says is that our racial background, our religious background, our country of origin our employment status, none of that matters. They're like interesting quirks. But our identity is in Christ. We've put to death the old self and put on the new self, built on the foundation of Christ as Lord. And that's what matters. And that's why there's unity between different people from different backgrounds. That's why it's so wonderful when you look out in this church that you do see people from different backgrounds. But we don't make a big deal of it because we're all one in Christ. So we put to death our old self and we put on the new self. 
And what we see here is that we don't kill the old self, we don't deal with our sin by white-knuckling it or by making up rules. Paul has already told us that's a bad idea. Go back and have a read of Colossians chapter 2, verses 20 to 23, and you'll see Paul says making up rules to keep yourself holy is not, how it, is not going to be helpful. Instead, you need to remember who you are, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. You want to put to death sin, you remember who you are. God's chosen person, holy and dearly loved. What better motivation to live differently than remembering what God has done for you and who God has made you to be. You are in Christ, and in Christ you are holy and loved. So, be who you are. Having remembered who you are, be who you are. Verses 12 to 15, Therefore clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace and be thankful. The old self, sexual immorality, lust, greed, rage, malice, slander, filthy language. We're putting that to death by remembering who we are and therefore filling ourselves up with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another rather than swearing at one another, forgiving as the Lord forgives and loving, which binds us together in unity. Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, love that makes it all work, finally remembering that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and then at the very end there, being thankful, that thing that uh, Paul keeps coming back to as the fruit of a gospel heart. Thankfulness. Here it is again as he instructs the Christians to be who they are. See, churches go a bit wonky when they forget who they are and they stop building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. They stop dying to sin together and stop loving one another with compassion, kindness, humility and gentleness. But we're not going to be like that, are we? Because we're going to remember who we are. We're God's holy chosen people, dearly loved. And so we're going to be who we are. We're going to put on those clothes of love and peace, compassion and kindness. And then we're going to worship God. So it's remember who you are, be who you are, worship the King. Verse 16. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. 
part of putting on the new self is getting caught up in the worship of who God is and what he's done for us. Paul wants us to meet together, to worship God and to encourage one another. And I want to suggest that, in fact, you will not be successful in remembering who you are and being who you are and dying to your old self unless you worship God with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Because there you get to practice being the new self. There people get to point out parts of the old self that you need to get rid of. And your heart gets captivated by kind of getting caught up in heaven where it belongs and already is in Christ. It's, it's the fuel, this gathering we are at this morning for being who we are, for putting to death sin, for living a new life in Christ. And it's really, really important. In another place, the writer to the Hebrews encourages the, the, the Christians, don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. If you're going to stay close to Jesus, if you're going to live the kind of life that he has for you, you need to be with the other believers. Gathering together in this thing we call church, it's vital. It's how we grow. It's how we're encouraged. It what, it's what makes us grateful and thankful for what God has done. And I just want to tell a challenging and encouraging story that I may have told you before, because it, it's one of those stories that has had a deep impact on my life. Several years ago, I was in Cambodia visiting Abraham and his ministry over there, and uh, they got me to preach in their uh, uh, former brothel-turned-church. And uh, as I was preaching, I preached on Hebrews, on Hebrews chapter 10. And I said to them, it's really important that you guys keep meeting together here in deepest, darkest Cambodia. I, got no real idea. I had no real idea where I was. Uh, because if you don't do that, then, then things are going to pull your way. And in Cambodian culture, there's a massive pull on them to just go back to being Buddhist and to start feeding the gods and paying tributes to the monks. But if you want to set yourself apart, you need to encourage one another, I said. Anyway, in Cambodian culture, after the sermon, they do feedback. Uh, so literally, like, when I finished this sermon... Uh, we'd all sit in a big circle in here and uh, I'd say, so, how was that for, like, what, what, what did God teach you today? And you would share, which is quite encouraging, actually. But here's what one lady shared. She said, I feel really convicted by what I've heard today. Okay. Why? Well, my husband passed away six months ago and then I lost one of my sons. It's been the wet season and it takes me four hours to get to church, often through knee-deep water, and this is the first time I've been. And I realise that I need to be here. And it was wrong of me to not come. And I'm going, whoa, 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 calm down. Like, there seems to be a lot of external reasons why, uh, uh, like, um, this might be the case. 
But she says, no, no. I, need, I needed to be here because I needed to worship God with my brothers and sisters. I needed their love and I needed their encouragement. Well, what a challenging word of conviction that is from our sister in Cambodia who lives a life nothing like ours but can get to church. Well, I hope she's still... I I assume she's getting to church uh, most weeks now because she knows how important it is. How many of us wake up and if it's looking like we might get a little bit wet from our car to the church, we think, oh, maybe next week. Four hours, knee-deep water, subsistence living, I must get to church. Wow, she gets it. She gets it. Worshipping the King is vital fuel for living with Christ as Lord, as your foundation for putting to death the old self and putting on the new self. Remember who you are. Be who you are. Worship your King. Finally, serve your King. And whatever you do, verse 17, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, I actually think this is a really useful piece of advice for us as we seek to have our minds set on things above and, and not on things below. Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of Jesus. Imagine, imagine if every time you did something, you, you finished doing it or saying it with, in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanks be to God. I'm doing some sexual immorality. In the name of the Lord Jesus, thanks be to God. It doesn't kind of work. It sort of kind of cuts the thing off, doesn't it? I'm stealing this computer. In the name of the Lord Jesus, thanks be to God. Now, that doesn't really work either, does it? I'm loving this person who's been unkind to me and I'm treating them with compassion in Jesus' name. Thanks be to God. Okay, that's kind of working for me. I'm loving my family. I'm working hard for my kids in Jesus' name. Thanks be to God. I'm putting to death my sin in Jesus' name. Thanks be to God. If I was going to add to last week's challenge, if those of you who've been doing it or remember it, to, to sort of finish every day with thankfulness... Let me add to that with another little challenge to do everything in Jesus' name this week. I wonder how you'd go. I think what it would do is it would alert you to where you need to put something to death. And it's okay because this is the journey of the Christian. Continuing to put to death the old self and continuing to put on the new self, remembering that you're already in Christ and you're already a citizen of heaven. And so you repent when you do something wrong and you trust in the Lord Jesus and you remember who you are, a loved child of the King. And you worship him and praise him for what he's done and you get on with growing and being who you are. Amen. Amen.